of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Before we get started today, I want to give a shout out to our two newest patron members. Alexa Drost, who's a tier three member. Alexa, we really, really appreciate your support. Love you. Thank you for listening and supporting us financially by being a tier three member. And Caroline Pettit also joined as a tier three member. Miss Caroline, we really appreciate you. And thank you so much for joining and listening. And y'all patron members get exclusive bonuses from everything from discounts off merchandise in our stores to the hotline number, the real life, real crime hotline number where they get to call in and ask or say anything they want. And I included in an episode, which last night we dropped our first ever Real Life, Real Crime Hotline episode and was a huge success. They also get many episodes and bonus episodes that are locked up and the shout outs on the shows, etc. So it's important. We appreciate all the patron members. We love you and we thank you for supporting Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Thanks again. I want to talk about our numbers real quick, y'all. We are growing so fast and daily. Before yesterday, we had just reached 26,000 downloads. Now we just passed 29,000 downloads and it's growing so fast. I bet you by the time you hear this, we'll be in a 30,000 plus range. So it's because y'all are taking the time to listen and like and share our podcast. We're blowing it up. We appreciate all y'all, not just Patreon members. We we love all our listeners and our fans. So many of y'all interact on Facebook. And don't forget our private Facebook page where we have the Dream Team moderators who if you send us a request. It's real life, real crime, friends, fans, and crew. And uh, it's a closed group, but send us the request and our Dream Team moderators will get you approved. If you like the show, join the page because there's so much bonus material and fan interaction and so much cool stuff going on with you would believe it. It's, it's awesome. And that group went from zero to over 630 now members. So it's amazing. Check it out. And it continues to grow also. Our numbers 
they speak for themselves and thank y'all for what you do. And now as of today, we're in 70 countries, seven zero. So we picked up another country somewhere last night and I hadn't had a chance to look at the map to see which one it was, but I can tell you which one it wasn't. It wasn't Australia because they are our number two country only behind the United States in terms of downloads and they're in the thousands for us. So one of our moderators, Shauna from Australia, turned me on to Australian's best true crime podcast. It's called True Crime Island. And she made the introduction to the host Cambo, C-A-M-B-O. And Cambo is a cool dude, y'all. And the show, you know, I don't listen to true crime. I just don't do it. It, and I started listening to his, and it is so awesome. Very well done. It's researched well, but it's put together well. It's well produced, but even even better is the the style that he uses. He's serious about true crime, but there's some of the things and phrases he says in that really, really cracked me up. But Cambo, appreciate you talking with us. And y'all, I want to introduce you to Mr. Cambo now. Do you get mad when listening to true crime? Well, so do I. If you want a weekly true crime podcast that says what you're thinking, then grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is Cambo from True Crime Island, another true crime podcast, and maintain the rage with me. Visit truecrimeisland.com where you can download or stream each episode. Plus, there's links to iTunes and social media. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. This is True Crime Island. And there you have it, Mr. Cambo from True Crime Island in Australia. And look, his show is up for the 2019 Australian Independent Podcaster Award of the Year. And personally, I think he should win it. And I wish non-Australians could vote because we'd, we'd rack him up some votes. So thanks, Cambo. We appreciate you. That being said, let's get started with today's episode, Bound and burned. So let me tell you the story, tragic story, if you will, of Ralph Elvin Nolan Jr. Now, Ralph Nolan was 58 years old in 2001, and he lived in Livingston Parish off of Joe May Road. Yeah, it has a Walker address. Yeah, I've heard me talk about Walker before, but really Joe May Road, most of it is kind of closer to Denham Springs. I don't know why the address is like that, but he lived in a trailer in, in north of Walker off of Joe May Road. He was a United States Army veteran, and he was an accountant with Louisiana State Uniform Payroll System. He was single and a native of Norfolk, Virginia. Now, by all accounts, Ralph Nolan was a really good guy. And they said he was just real generous, real giving, real caring. He never married. Mr. Nolan was a homosexual, and he didn't hide the fact, right? Back then, in 2001, there were no open gay marriages and everything like it is now. And probably no, I don't even know if Ellen DeGeneres was on or whatever. But back then, to be openly homosexual, especially in a place, a conservative place like Livingston Parish, 
just shows what kind of character Mr. Nolan was, that he was independent and he wasn't ashamed of himself. He was proud and just everybody loved him. Coworkers loved him with the state. They said that he was very generous and kind and giving and he's just a good dude, right? And a United States Army veteran to boot. But on October 5th, Friday night, sometime late that night, he had a knock at his door. Snowland opens the door and he had been inspecting this visitor and he had a date planned with the young man that was coming to see him. Now, this guy was 19 years old and Mr. Nolan was 58. So a lot of the story that I'm going to tell you today has to be inferred, if you will, or maybe my opinion of why things happen or didn't happen. And a lot of the rest of the straight fact, you can form your own opinion. He opens the door and lets in the young man, the 19 year old, whose name was John Priest. And they go inside the residence, the mobile home. And at some point, sugar turns to shit. And the date between the two ends up with Mr. Nolan dead on the floor of his trailer. John Priest then leaves the trailer in Nolan's new car, a Grand Prix, drives to a gas station, gets gas, and comes back and covers Nolan's body with a cloth, douses him in gasoline, and sets him on fire. Burns the trailer with Mr. Nolan's body inside. John Priest then takes Nolan's new car and leaves the scene of the crime. But unbeknownst to John Priest, the neighbor across the street from Nolan liked to get up early on Saturday mornings on his day off and go get hot, fresh donuts when they were first delivered. So he's coming out and he sees John Priest come out and get into Nolan's car. Now, John Priest did not have a vehicle to get over there. So somebody dropped him off, right? And the neighbor sees him and is clearly able to identify him, doesn't know his name at that time, clearly able to identify him. And by the time Priest pulls away in Nolan's car, which he thought was extremely strange, Mr. Nolan was proud of that car. I mean, it just got it. And Priest is leaving. And then the neighbor, before he could even back out of his driveway, sees fire coming out of the trailer. So he calls 911 and it goes out as a work and structure fire. The fire department responds. They work diligently to put out the flames. They don't know Nolan's inside. They just put out the fire. And when they're inside and they're putting out the fire, they see a charred, burnt body on the floor. Now, I was working in the Uniform Patrol Division for Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office at the time, and I had come across uh, several burnt bodies, uh, burned whether it's vehicle fires or house fires, etc. And then throughout my career, I would you know see many, many, many more. But there's no describing it, uh, I guess, other than if, if you saw some photographs or really, really no describing it, but the body 
when they burn at that hot of a temperature, crackles, like, meaning the skin will split and it, it burns and it's it's just really bad and it has a very distinct smell. It would have been bad enough had they found Mr. Nolan and he was just in his residence and a victim of a house fire. But when they found him, what set him off was he was chained from his neck to his ankles. He was hogtied with a chain. So naturally, the state's fire marshal is called in for the arson part and the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office is called in the detectives. And so the case develops and John Priest, 19 years of age, is developed as a suspect. John Priest had just walked out of the prison doors, the Livingston Parish jail doors, on Thursday evening. It was the very next day, Friday evening, that he went to Nolan's residence in Nolan ended up dead. So John Priest was serving time. He had served two years for a sentence of aggravated battery and burglary. Okay, now aggravated battery in the state of Louisiana is when you hit someone with something. It has to be some type of object or weapon. Uh, regular battery simple battery is just an unwanted touching and it's different in the rest of the United States. A rest of the United States, a battery is an assault or the unwanted touching is an assault and Louisiana under the Napoleonic code of law. It's reversed. The battery is the assault and the assault is the battery. Aggravated battery means you use some type of weapon or force. So now think about it. He's 19 years old that day when he walks out, he did two years locked up in the jail on his, I think he was sentenced to 12 years originally for the aggravated battery charge, but he was no, he was no stranger to crime. He had had, if you could go back and pull the records, which you can't, but I know that he had a lengthy juvenile record and he was just straight up headed for the top of the badass class. Right now, Prisons and jails are nothing to me but graduating schools for criminals. So your local jail would be like your junior college. And when you get sent to the Department of Corrections and you're doing time, if you don't want to reform yourself and you're doing time, then all you have to do is sit around all the time with a bunch of other criminals and learn, right? Well, John Priest had been in juvenile the whole way up. He was just a sick fuck. I mean, he's a bad guy, and he was ahead of his class, right? He was super, super smart. Everybody described him as super smart. As a matter of fact, Greg Murphy, the prosecutor for Livingston Parish, said the assistant district attorney who prosecuted him, was a good friend of mine over the years and probably just the best all around prosecutor you'll ever meet. And Greg ended up handling John's case. And he told me, he said, Woody, he said, I was the smartest dude I ever prosecuted. And when we started talking about this case, so 
John Priest doesn't waste his time in prison. He's constantly striving not to improve himself, but to improve his criminal career. And what he does when he's inside that two years is he gleans information from other inmates on who is a homosexual in the area that he could play and use to his advantage. Now, I don't know the details, and we're never going to know the details of the date between John Priest and Ralph Nolan. It's said that Priest made contact with him while he was still locked up and that maybe Nolan had given him some financial support as a form of money into his account for the commissary or what have you. But whether or not they corresponded at length ahead of time, I know there was nothing in writing, but I don't know about the phone calls, but it could be it's suspect, certainly. But anyway, Priest got Nolan's name from another dickhead inside the jail and developed him as a mark either way and so he set it up to go over there i would assume he set it up to go have sex for money uh, john priest wasn't an ugly guy he's 19 years old he's physically fit and he's got this date well from ralph nolan who's 58 but either way he, he used his time inside to set this thing up now he's he's literally walking out with the sole intention of having the date if you will at with mr nolan the next night i don't know he's just a special kind of criminal always striving to outdo his own criminal behavior so priest is, is developed as a suspect and actually they made a warrant for his arrest for first degree murder and aggravated arson and the car theft, et cetera. And he's arrested in Hazelhurst, Mississippi, which is just south of Jackson, Mississippi. And I don't know what it is about criminals from Livingston Parish loving to go to Mississippi, but like we told you about Gerald Bordelon and Rhonda Rose Lambert, and now you got John Priest who is arrested. Hazelhurst, Mississippi Police Department stopped him on traffic violations and then charged him with possession of the stolen vehicle and john priest waives his extradition and is brought back to livingston parish where he's interviewed and he gives his side of the story which would later become his defense at trial and he's booked into the livingston parish jail to await his trial and as usual you have all your usual pre-trial motions and they try to suppress anything that priest said and challenge things and whatever the trial date approaches and the jury is selected and the trial begins now i told you greg murphy was the prosecutor on this case and i'm telling you all around pound for pound the best prosecutor you ever meet he was what i call a victim's prosecutor right and he wasn't afraid a lot of prosecutors afraid of taking a loss Greg Murphy was not, and he would stand up for the victims of the crimes. He also stood up for cops, like if somebody uh, attacked the police, you really wanted him working that case. But Greg had prepared for trial, and it was going to be for second-degree murder, not first-degree, which is automatic trial, like I told you in previous episodes, because no defense attorney is going to plead to mandatory life in prison without probation or parole, which is what the only sentence can be in the state of Louisiana for second degree murder. So they go on trial and priest 
puts up the defense that he simply went to visit Nolan. And once he was there, Nolan tried to rape him. Now, again, Priest is fit, young, in shape, and Mr. Nolan is the exact opposite. Priest said that Nolan tried to rape him, that he attacked him, and Priest said he defended himself and acted in self-defense and that he killed Mr. Nolan by accident when he was fighting for his life. Well, the only problem with that is when you're bound from your neck to your ankles with a chain. Now, the autopsy's official cause of death was a blow to the head, but it's believed that there was a, a shotgun wound to Ralph Nolan's back. The body was really, really burned there, right? So, I mean, but there was a hole in Ralph Nolan's back that had some type of cloth stuck in it, like a sock. They don't really know what it was. It was burnt, but how do you explain that? Okay, how do you explain the chaining? How do you explain the hole in the back, even though the fatal wound was to the head, according to the autopsy? And if you have to shoot somebody in the back, then you, well, you chain them up, first of all. Then you shoot them in the back, and then you stuff the hole for whatever reason. I don't know if it's to stop the amount of blood flow from leaving evidence or to what? I said, I don't, I, you know, it just puzzles me. I don't get it. But the you stuff the hole with cloth, and then, you know what? Hey, I'm John Priest. I'm smart. I'm a professional criminal at 19 years of age. You take the guy's car keys, you find a gas can, you drive, and it's at least 15, 20 minutes to where the nearest gas station was. You drive. You get gas, you come back, you go back inside the residence where your victim is laying on the floor, and then he covered him in another type of cloth or like a blanket and sheets and soaked it with gasoline and lit him on fire or lit the body on fire. He was deceased at the time. There was no burning on the inside of his lungs, so they know he was already dead, but hey, John Priest, 19 years old, you know, smart enough to try to cover all the evidence from the crime. And I guess I'm still guessing that the hole in the back is sock. I think it uh, was described shoved inside that didn't burn as much because of the body's position. I don't know, but the, I don't know what it was for. And so Priest hauls tail and goes on a run, but his defense at trial was, that Nolan attacks him, tries to rape him, and he defended himself. So, but the cause of death have having been presented as the trauma to the head. And even though Ralph Nolan was chained and burned, Priest said, Hey, you know what? I did it in self-defense. Now, y'all, the problem with that is the problem that Greg Murphy is up against. And it's sad to say that and this is speculation on my part, but I think I'm right. The problem Greg Murphy is up against is even though Ralph Nolan was an Army veteran, a long-term state of Louisiana employee, 
and just a really, really good guy, you were talking about Livingston Parish in 2001. Now, Livingston Parish is very conservative, very, very conservative. And I just don't know at the time that you could find 12 people to put on a jury that would have sympathy for a homosexual that got murdered. Okay. And I sad to say, I mean, the world has, has certainly evolved in the last 18 years where when we have open gay marriage now and whatever, I don't care me personally. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. It doesn't bother me one way or another. That's, you know, between you and you and you. But at that time, I believe Greg Murphy had his hands, the deck stacked against him and finding 12 people that would have sympathy. I'm not saying all of them, y'all. I mean, I'm sure they were shocked by the brutality of it, et cetera. But you get this guy, John Priest, who's very well spoken. And as Greg said, he's just the smartest son of a bitch I ever prosecuted. His defense, I mean, he says, hey, look, man, he tried to rape me. And yeah, I, I fought with him and whatever. And then I got scared afterwards because I knew I'd hurt him and I burned the place down just because I freaked out. Well, the evidence shows that he certainly killed Ralph Nolan, but it doesn't show that he had the specific intent to kill him before the homicide happened. Now, for second-degree murder in Louisiana, you have to have specific intent. That meaning that you planned it out ahead of time, the forethought, et cetera, to kill, the actual act to kill. Certainly, he had the date with Ralph Nolan, found out uh, that Ralph Nolan is a possible mark or a victim when he was still locked up inside and established the right relationship with Nolan. I believe he set him up to go over there and have sex for money. I also believe that Priest's sole intent was to rob him and kill him and hide the evidence. But the jury has to be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that for second-degree murder, they would have been given their jury instructions by Judge Drake. The last thing they hear before they go to retire is what the definition of second-degree murder is, and that is the killing or taking of the life with specific intent, etc. Now, John Priest, he didn't have to prove that he didn't kill him. He didn't have to prove, he really didn't have to prove anything other than tell a good story and just put reasonable doubt in the juror's mind that he had the specific intent. Ralph Nolan couldn't testify. That's the problem. You know, you have the evidence, you have the chain, you have the sock in the back, you have the burn of the body and the steel in the car and all that. But you know what? Who's to say that John Priest didn't go over there like John Priest said? And Priest said, hey, you know what? I'm not gay. And he came on to me and then he tried to rape me. I had to defend myself. Ralph Nolan can't talk. Dead people can't talk. And so there proving beyond a reasonable doubt that John Priest wasn't telling the truth, impossible. You just can't do it. Now, probably in today's culture, if you will, in the country, the people would have been more acceptable to Ralph Nolan as a victim, but evidently somebody on the jury or members of the jury came back and said that, Second degree murder was not proved beyond a reasonable doubt, and they gave 
John Priest the sentence of manslaughter, which is, as I've told you in previous episodes, like Rhonda Rose Lambert, a killing during the heat of the, the moment, if you will, uh, like a crime of passion. But there was no passion in John Priest. So that's what they came back with, a lesser verdict of manslaughter and found him guilty. And he's taken back to the Livingston Parish Jail, but not before he heard Judge Drake say at some point he heard Judge, Judge Drake say he was really going to hit him hard on the sentence. So he's housed back at the Livingston Parish Jail and three days before he comes back for his formal sentencing date, John Priest escapes from the Livingston Parish Jail and in Murder Me Now, I tell you uh, about Gerald Bordelon and John Priest escaping. But what happened was John Priest was housed in the front in the solitary confinement cell next to Gerald Bordelon. And they were locked up 23 hours a day, but they still the staff had to let him out to shower and use the phone and for approximately an hour recreation. Well, Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office at the time, the jail was outdated undermanned, understaffed. And that morning, John Priest, they let him out of a cell. And I told you all in the earlier episodes, the booking room is directly across from those cell. And the, they had a phone in the booking room. So they let John Priest use the, the phone. And Priest said that there was a disturbance down the hallway. And when the guard left the room, he reached into the desk and found a pair of pliers and he tucked it into his sock. Then when the phone call was over, he goes back to his cell. And when they take him out for their exercise that morning before and while visitation is going on for the rest of the prison, the parish prison, they put him in this little breezeway, the little hallway in between where the control room and the, the front of the prison is housed and the men's dorm in the back. And that hallway is fenced in by what I call hurricane fencing. Some people call it cyclone fencing. It's just chain link fence. And so they put them on the breezeway so they can technically give them their hour out. And if you look from the control room, you can see them. You look to your left and there they would be. But the problem was nobody was looking. And John Priest used the pliers to twist off the bottom of the fencing where it was tied to a post. And they slid underneath the fencing. And then they used two ladders, which were left by the maintenance shed they put them over the fence and absconded right they go over the fence once they get over the fence they split and as i stated before and murder me now we were called in for the manhunt and it was huge y'all every agency in the state that you can name pretty much sent people and then helicopters and the dog chase teams from the different prisons and we'd set up a good perimeter and Fortunately, we caught Gerald Bordelon the next morning, less than a quarter mile away from the prison, and he was hiding in the woods like a little bitch. He didn't have the guts to run. He just lay down and, and hid. Now, John Priest took some more time. Okay, so we went all day Saturday, all Saturday night, Sunday morning. Gerald Bordelon is recaptured. Somebody saw him behind the convenience store where he was hiding. And he's recaptured. And then Sunday passes. The clock's ticking slow for everybody that's on the manhunt. Look, we were scared to death. 
that John Priest was going to kill somebody. And we were very thankful to catch Gerald Borderline. We were scared to death that John Priest was going to do something to somebody else because of the type of criminal he was. And he showed no remorse whatsoever for Ralph Nolan or any of the crimes he committed. And it's just a psychopathic personality, 1,000%. But that night, Sunday night, about 10 o'clock, we got a tip. Somebody called in and said that John Priest was inside of a travel trailer in the town of Livingston, probably two miles from the jail, and that he had been there at that residence all day. And in fact, that he had been out in the yard playing touch football with some other teenagers that were helping him hide out. And come on, man, you're such a hardcore murderer and shit. Why don't you at least play tackle football? But they're playing touch football in the yard. And he got to hang out and watch movies, et cetera, and eat food and just have a, a day out of prison, I guess, or two days. But at 10 o'clock that night, our special response team, uh, or SWAT, surrounded the travel trailer i was less than a half a mile away staged as backup to go in in case something was wrong and i was actually standing with preston temple who was the jail supervisor at the time when bordelon and priest escaped and he was a friend of mine but the SWAT team moves in, SRT moves in, and now travel trailers, y'all, if you don't know, if you're outside the country, which we have 70 countries or 69 other countries other than the United States, travel trailers are like small campers that you could pull behind a vehicle. And so, I mean, they're really small. So the SRT sneaks up and they bust two of the windows on the travel trailer and throw in two flashbangs. Now, flashbangs are concussion grenades. And if you've never ever experienced one well then you're pretty fortunate but it's called shock and awe it they are so loud and so bright that they shock all your senses and they literally stun you You can't do anything but they throw two flashbangs in this little bitty tiny camper which isn't three three and a half four feet across and maybe i don't know 15 feet long and there was such force from the two flashbangs that went off inside the camper that blew the walls out y'all and john priest was in there and of course he was incapacitated by the flashbangs and the swat team was able to go in and affect the arrest and nobody got hurt and we were really thankful for that <laughs> so they bring him back and anyway, when the flashbangs went off i looked over at preston i said hey preston and then the radio goes off and they say Livingston, whatever the, the deputy was that was calling in, Livingston show 1015, one white male, which meant they had John Priest in custody. And I told Preston, I said, dude, you might as well go back to the jail parking lot. And when they take him out of the car, just run up to him and punch him dead ass in his mouth because he got your job. I said, you know, your ass is getting fired. I mean, you were a supervisor. The buck's going to fall on somebody. And I was right. He did get fired. And the warden got moved and somebody else got promoted to warden and the rest of the employees got suspended and stuff like that. But John priest brought back to the jail and he goes before judge Drake for sentencing just two days after he's captured and take him out of the cell, the same holding cell that he was in. And they strap him up with a, 
electrical shock belt, which was a new thing back then. It is commonly used now, but they had the the belt that went around his midsection that his hands are attached to. And if he did anything to get out of line, the deputies that were escorting could just hit a button and it was shocked the shit out of him. And I mean, like bring you to your knees. It's like having a belt made out of tasers. Okay. So he knew, I mean, he's smart. The, uh, like Greg Murphy, the district attorney says as smart as some bitch I ever prosecuted. And uh, he wasn't going to do anything, but he, he, he was really cocky and they brought him in judge Drake's courtroom. And I was there and there was hardly anybody there, but the security was extra tight just because he was John priest and to bring him in and judge Drake is a really good guy. An older gentleman doesn't take any shit off anybody. Right. And so he brings him in and arraigns him on the, simple escape charges that carries up to a maximum of five years in the state of Louisiana. And so he brings priest up to the microphone and says, okay, Mr. Priest, he said, you're charged with simple escape from the jail. And he said, how do you plead? And John priest being the cocky shit that he is, he says, well, your honor, I can't say that my evil twin did it. So I plead guilty. And the judge said, okay, then I sent you to five years for that. And he said, on your original sentence, you are going to go back and do the full 12 years for that. Now, in the state of Louisiana, if you get out on parole, and it doesn't matter if if you have a 50-year sentence and you get out on your fifth year and you have 45 years of parole, you can go to that last day of the 50 years and do something to screw up and commit another crime. You have to go back and serve the whole 45 years that you didn't serve previous. So judge Drake says your original sentence, you're going back and serving the whole thing. So that's another 12 years. And he said on the charge of manslaughter, I sentence you to the maximum 40 years and for burning Ralph Nolan's home. I sentence you to the maximum 20 years. So John priest, that is to run consecutively, not concurrent, meaning that once one of his sentences were complete, he started that next day his time on the next sentence. So not, I mean, he had to do this. It totaled 77 years. He's 19 judge hits him with the full 77. And you know what John priest says? Shit. That's the reason I escaped because I knew the judge was going to give me a bunch of time anyway. And I want some time out, but 77 years at hard labor and then phase him. John Priest, he could give a shit less, right? And he's to him, he's just going to graduate school. I mean, so I'm sure where he's locked up in the Department of Corrections now, he's getting his doctorate or the equivalent of his doctorate in criminal behavior. And I just hope he doesn't get out in the state of Louisiana. You can have up to day for day match for good time. And, you know, if he gets out, he's going to kill again. But that's the story of John priest and on the sphincter scale, 10, absolutely 
10. One y'all on the sphincter scale is an asshole that barely doesn't even need prosecuting. And a 10 is just as bad as you can get besides murder by you. Now murder by you is you should be put to death. And you know what? Fuck that. I'm changing it. I'm going to, I'm I'm going to murder by you because if he gets out, he's he's that smart, he's that conniving, and he has no remorse, psychopathic, and he will kill again. And you know what, Ralph Nolan, gay or not, and it doesn't matter. Nobody, nobody deserves to die like that. So you know what, John Priest, we caught you down on murder by you. And thank y'all. That concludes this week's episode. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast.